Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the... Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren. We got Mr. Dave Martino in the house, in the basement of the house of mystery. Yeah, you got to be somewhere. Yeah. You know, are you right. digging digging under the house? I'm digging <laughs> under the house, following that TikTok. That's know? right. I yeah. saw that, and I'm like, I just got to start digging. Yeah. Wow. Get get wait, wait for the house of mystery to just implode. Yeah. I guess I guess sometimes people don't realize what they're doing is they're digging out the foundation and under the house that it kind of makes the house unstable. <laughs> just a little bit. But nowadays, you can do it on TikTok Live, and people yeah. watch you, and you'll amass 300,000-plus viewers, and they're all entertained, and now it starts a trend. Now people are going under their houses and digging. <laughs> I can start doing that now. Yeah, get to work. Yeah. And it's just for a storm shelter. <laughs> I don't know what kind of storm she was expecting. No. <laughs> More than I've right. seen. I don't know. Maybe I'm living in the in a good area, and... Mm, no storms. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I don't know. She's waiting for Dorothy to come. <laughs> strange, strange stuff. Okay, now let's see. Oh, I should also talk about we have the Noir at the Bar starting. Oh. It already started. Now, the first yeah. reading edition starts this Thursday, the 25th, I believe it is. And that's on KKW, 1150 AM Seattle. And it's uh, authors that are reading their, their work and they do eight-minute segment of reading, and these are the authors that will be featured in the Left Coast Crime in Seattle this year from April 11th to 14th. So don't miss it. I won't. Yeah, you better not. I'm I'm, I'm <laughs> watching. You better. I'm going to yes. test you oh, hey. to make sure that you heard every <laughs> every second. You better pass. I will. I will. Well, speaking of tests and, and passing and everything, we've got um, a teacher here, and he's going to mm. explain to you how to count. No, oh, he's, he's, I, I need that. Yeah, I know. He's written a new book. Uh, of course, the new book is called Lumpy's Gift, and uh, we're going to find out all about that and about what he's doing uh, to make this a better world. So, Mr. Christopher Packer, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, listen, um, so you've got quite the history, uh, much more surprising than I would figure. Now, um, before this Lumpy Skiff, which is a children's book you've written, you were writing books on mythical creatures of Maine, and you're kind of into all that stuff, cryptozoology. So what's going on there? Where? How did you get into that? Well, that is the $10,000 question for a science teacher turned children's author turned cryptozoologist. So uh, cryptozoology is the study of mysterious, not yet known to science creatures and beings and other unusual happenings. Uh, and, uh, you know, I always kind of had an interest in that as, as a young person. And uh, my family's from Maine, out here on the right coast, uh, and it's a lot of woods out here. My grandfather was a 
hunter, trapper, guide kind of fellow and ran some resort cabins for many years. And they were great storytellers, always spinning yarns about creatures and mysterious beings that they would meet while out on these hunts and guiding trips. And I always just sort of thought they were making it up. But then I learned there was uh, this rich sort of folklore behind all of this that had been passed down for generations, not just in my family, but really the whole country, like throughout the, the so-called lumber woods, the northern forests, and, you know, anywhere people go out in the woods and tell stories and spend time. Uh, and I was just raised with a lot of stories of all sorts, humorous and whatnot, and uh, I got sort of caught up in the threads of this folklore and the the mystery of these creatures and you know i just thought they were they were made up when i was young and then i uh became an adult and found out they had you know sort of this this long-term history that i thought people might like to hear about and i was as a young person i was also interested in bigfoot and mothman and all of those types of things as well and i sort of saw the connection and just became an obsession and turned into a book and became part of my performance storytelling that I do around the state as well. Not not a guide myself, but uh, a guide to stories and fictions that make us think about who we are and what the world is like. Have you ever had a sighting of a cryptozoological uh, creature? Uh, I think the weirdest thing I saw uh, that sort of, like, I was a teenager, and uh, so, like, but I was with a friend, and we were sitting on my my family dock on this lake by our cabin, and uh, there was there was no substances or alcohol involved in this. We were just <laughs> chatting in the evening, and these two glowing balls are float along the shore, like through the woods, going behind trees, maybe fifteen feet up in the air, and they looked like, I guess the size of a basketball and one in front of the other little offset in their height. And they just sort of, we both watched them go through and we're both like, do you see that? And, you know, we both saw it and it was a really amazing thing that, you know, it almost like, and, and your mind does this thing where it turns these weird experiences. Like, like, did that really happen? But like, I know it happened because mm. I experienced it with this other person. And so that's, probably the the weirdest thing I've seen. And I don't know if it was a, it wasn't a creature, but it was certainly something unknown and mysterious and goes along with sort of what, you know, our ancestors might've called the will of the wisp tradition uh, or right. uh, where, you know, you know, don't, don't follow the lights into the woods. And there's all sorts of great stories about that. I always follow the lights in the woods and I always <laughs> make it out. Okay. Yeah. That explains Sometimes a lot. I have a good time. Yeah, yeah, sometimes I have a good time. Well, but um, but being you got into being a science teacher, right? Yeah. So how much can be um, science? Science, you know, and how much of it is, you know, you in a way, aren't we really unsure about Bigfoot? We don't know, and there's been a number of years and over a long period of time where there's been rumors of Bigfoot and and all that sort of stuff, and that. But we don't really have any physical proof, do we? Uh, no, not no. Which is why it's cryptozoological. It's it's forty, and it's beyond the scope of science. And and you know, it, I I see all of this like interest in myself as being sort of like the gateway science, like that led me to to biology. I'm a biologist by training. Uh, and an interest in the world and discovering and learning about what's out there. And the thing I always remember 
is that science is in, in its modern form is at most like 200 years old. But our ancestors, who we love to underestimate, who lived for thousands of years before that, and indigenous people that get encountered by, you know, scientists trying to study animals in a new area, would always talk about, oh, there's moose and there's salmon and there's bear and like this happens at this time of the year. And you got to watch out for the little people and the floating lights and the big hairy man and the water monsters, right? There are these shared creatures that our ancestors are always talking about and they're, they're telling people about and saying they had experiences with. And, and so, you know, I think it's wrong to underestimate that value of that ancestral knowledge, that that idea that our ancestors in whatever culture you're from, like had this relationship and understanding of what it meant to live in the world that involved these mysterious incidences and these un now unknown creatures. And, you know, I can't explain to you how my cell phone gets all the information, but I know that it works. And so I wonder if there's some of this knowledge that our ancestors, having lived with a life that, like, literally depended on understanding nature, uh, knew about these creatures, yet we, the way we do science, doesn't perceive them. Uh, you know, so is it cultural? Is it spiritual? Is it something that really doesn't fit into our modern scientific Western paradigm of culture and language? And I think it's probably a little bit of all of those things. And, you know, some, some stories are just made up. Some, and some stories probably go to a deeper truth. And so that's kind of how I write it in my head, just because we don't have evidence doesn't mean that it, you know, absence of evidence isn't evidence that it doesn't exist. But, you know, a good scientist says, well, there isn't evidence to indicate that they exist. So we don't have biological management plans for Bigfoot. But, you know, a lot of anecdotal evidence exists that says, you know, it's an important cultural phenomenon and maybe has reflections in a scientific way of looking at things that we don't yet understand. I don't know. Drugs. Could be drugs too. <laughs> they were doing a lot of smoking. Um, well, it's it's interesting in that, um, but it's it's kind of on the edge. So, um, especially in today's world, right? There's so many there's so many conspiracies and weird stuff, and people talking about all sorts of things that sometimes it it goes further than you expect. What was kind of the the most wild story that you ever had with uh, with any of these uh, creatures? Like, told to me by a person I met? Yeah, yeah, one that you kind of, um, it, it stays with you today that you still think about. Yeah, so, I mean, you get told, like, you read a lot of stories, and then when you start going out and, like, telling these stories and collecting stories from people and talking about the stuff, people tell you all sorts of interesting things. And, uh, you know, sometimes people tell you about, like, you know, abductions or by aliens or like how there's like they're communicating with Bigfoot and those are all kind of kind of out there uh, and then sometimes people have these like where they're really shaken and they really saw something like out in the woods and you know these people who are seasoned outdoors men and women you know come across something that like doesn't match up with anything they've expected before. So, you, you know, they saw something, but you know, what 
did they see? What is related to that? Were there drugs involved? You know, some sometimes, obviously, uh, you know, or sometimes are they just spinning a story? Some of these stories are very well crafted. Um, but I think there's so many experiences that some of them are real. I don't, I'm not a, I don't have a really good one that jumps to mind that, you know, sort of, you know, sticks out to me. Well, so, and you're also dealing with, um, I guess there's, um, you know, when you hear this stuff, you get aliens and abductions and stuff like that. So it kind of, kind of ties in with that too, right? It's kind of an, another one that people quite often question. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And, you know, some, you know, our, you know, if you look like 200 years ago, nobody was talking about aliens, but they certainly talked about like lights flying through the sky and like getting abducted by little people and like, you know, having experiences and they were never right again. And then today we don't hear about like, you know, fairy world abductions, but we do hear all the time about, you know, these alien abductions that, you know, tells us, you know, I mean, like, are these just like transferences of like how we interpret these experiences we have based on our culture or are they just like catchy psychosises? You know, I guess it's up to, you know, however we want to understand that to be able to, you know, deal with these stories in, in the world. So, you know, it, I think, I think they're more related than maybe we, you know, we let on. I mean, the cultural implications of this and the fact that like we feel the need to tell these stories is, uh, is important in, in some way. And I don't know exactly what it means, but I, I know that it's important. Story is really powerful. It's the way we hold our culture together and convey all that information. And, you know, it lets us see into our, you know, see behind the curtain in some ways, you know, while just staring at a screen or, you know, listening to, to a story. Well, how, how do you balance out being a biologist and a school teacher with uh, cryptozoology, do you have to be careful? Do you, do you get any pushback from, uh, you know, mainstream scientists or school administrators, parents, stuff like that? Um, no, I mean, my my big thing is I, I go around and I tell mostly, I tell traditional, you know, northeastern folklore stories. I, I have a character and I do those performances. I also write about, like, modern experiences, which are people's stories and, you know, lumberjacks or guides having experiences. Those a few people feel pretty safe with, but then they get a little bit uncomfortable with, you know, when, you know, people start talking about these things that are beyond the scope of science. But the way I view it is, you know, it, it's, it's, like I, you know, like I said earlier, it's a gateway science. It's something that like makes people wonder, it engages them, and then they start to study, you know, if you want to discover what's in the world, you have to study the world. And it, I think it naturally lends people to like start exploring what's out there. And sometimes it lends people to get into like really crazy headspace. But, uh, you know, I don't think the way that I do, I don't get any pushback. Um, because I'm always, you know, I, I am a scientist and, you know, I mean, I will say that we don't have the evidence to support these exist scientifically, but, you know, we have all this anecdotal cultural information and that sometimes leads to some really cool discoveries like medicines from plants that are, you know, knowledge of people who've lived in areas for long, long periods of time, indigenous people, you know, so I, I think it's all like about how you set perspective. If you if you go into this stuff and say it's like a conspiracy and people don't want you to know about this stuff and it's linked to this and you know and it takes you into crazy places, 
then that's what people, I think, have a problem with. And, and it can do that, like anything can do that. Uh, but it can also be a way of starting a great conversation or talking, getting people interested in going out in the woods or, you know, just sharing a good laugh. Some of the early lumberjack stories and my grandfather's guide stories are just hilarious. And some of the creatures they talk about are just absurd and, uh, you know, clearly weren't something that people thought were real experiences, but told this important cultural information. And so I think it's, it's about like how you, how you set the perspective of, uh, you know, what, what you're looking at. And if you keep a scientific mind and say, we can talk about culture and talk about society and talk about people's experience and not get, you know, our tinfoil hats all crinkled up, then we'll, we'll do okay. <laughs> I like mine crinkled. Reflects <laughs> more of the mind control rays that way. Yeah, of course. You know, hey, listen. So, when you're when you're in this kind of lifestyle, okay. So you're you're telling these stories. You're into science, biology. You're doing teaching at school and all that stuff. What led you down the road to writing a his book? Yeah. So even before I was interested in like obsessively interested in in these mysterious creatures, uh, I sort of inherited this knack for spinning a yarn and, and telling stories and like getting in front of people and performing these stories uh, to, to some extent. And maybe I took it to more of an extent. And so for scout groups and church groups and things like that, I would tell, you know, stories or historical stories uh, or, or like mindfulness lessons. And in fact, like Lumpy's gift was written as a mindfulness lesson, which is something I also teach in my science classroom. We have Mindful Mondays. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's curriculums about that. And it's about, you know, thinking about what we do and how we think about the world. And, and somebody contacted me and said, hey, I'd like to have this lesson teaching generosity and mindfulness and uh, you know, the students, I want them to do like a craft and, and can you put something together like that? And I said, yeah, I think I can. And so I ended up writing this book, uh, Lumpy's Gift, but I didn't write it as a book. I wrote it as a story to be performed and told. Uh, and the, you know, Lumpy is a lump of clay and gets molded by all of his crazy uh, experiences like a well-meaning potter digging him up from his moist and warm, squishy, dark hole and, you know, carries him in a bucket and it's bright and dark and it's bright and like loud and bumpy and he dumps him on the potter's wheel and spins him and presses him and thumps him and shapes him and does all sorts of terrible things until he fires him and Lumpy feels crusty and then hard and he notices that he's got a shape and a body and he becomes a gift right? Like he becomes a cup. He gets transformed by all of his different experiences that he thought were terrible until he learned that they weren't. Uh, and, and so this story and like all of the big movements and the big, you know, dancing around and like funny voices that you do during the performances of these, you know, get people like out of their normal headspace to think about like, oh, wow, like there are things in my life that are hard and transform me and I can become better. And then they made this gift, like this thing out of clay, like they were playing with clay while I was telling the story. And then they ended up like shaping these objects. And then the the teacher of this class took the uh, took these objects and uh, and fired them 
in in a kiln and then they came back the next week and they had this little gift that they made that they got to give to somebody and they got to think about how all the things in their life you know transformed them into something they never thought they wanted to be when they just wanted to stay in their dark moist and squishy hole so when you write a, a book for kids like the, the lumpy's gift for instance do you have a meaning or some sort of purpose behind it do you is there something you hope the kids pick up from it other than just the entertainment or the fun of the book yeah absolutely i mean that's the only way like i'm like despite my really weird interests like i'm a really practical person so if you give me like a blank page and you're like come and tell a story about whatever you want i'm like i have no idea what to tell a story about i know hundreds of stories that i can perform uh you know or at least you know probably a hundred and uh you know, but I will never come up, you know, it would be really, that would be painful for me. And so I love to have a theme uh, or, you know, somebody needs something. Uh, and that's that's what stories are supposed to do. They're supposed to convey, you know, some type of meaning, especially children's stories or like these, you know, stories that, that we tell. Like they, that's how we share our culture with each other, whether it's a TV show or a novel or a children's book. You know, all of that implicitly or explicitly teaches a story. And then for kids, it's really important to get, you know, these, these interests and have these stories and then, you know, have a way for, you know, so my book has this discussion guide that lets them sort of, you know, guides the reader today or the teller, or the, the classroom leader about what, you know, what would be a good lesson for the kids to pull out of this. But it was because they wanted something about, you know, being mindful and making a gift and, and transformation that really helped me to come up with that story. I totally love having a theme, and that's the best way to write a children's story. And, and a lot of the creature stories tell lessons about not going into the woods or, you know, think about like all the the common tropes of, of novels and TV shows and horror movies. Like there are certain messages that we're conveying in there that, you know, whether we realize it or not, that are about being cautious and trusting people and, you know, and, and who's going to die first, I guess, in horror movies or whatever. I don't know. How does it work for you? Like when you write a book like this, what do you yourself get out of it? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so I, it's all about community for me. Uh, I mean, the most, like, nobody goes through life and thinks, like, you know, I just, I mean, maybe some people do, but I certainly don't. Like, I wish, you know, I never had to deal with, you know, any people and I didn't have a community or people that I cared about or, like, nobody ever did anything interesting. Like, everybody wants these connections with other people. So, you know, stories are, are simple ways where we can open pathways of communication with other people. And I love that exchange where I give them my performance, they give attention, and then we get connection out of this at the end. And not just with me, but the people who listen to the story together, even if it's like in a public place, they get melded into, you know, a community as well, you know, like just even if it's temp temporary, like we're we're in these places together, but it's so easy to never notice anybody around us. And story is just a, you know, like I love it when you just like meet somebody and they just tell you something in the checkout line or whatever. And you're like, oh, that was a good little story. Like you just shared a little snippet and it brings people together. And I think 
I think if more people talked and like had these simple things and didn't look for like we're so often looking for entertainment, but you know if we connect with people who are in front of us, that is a, a really powerful thing. And and in some ways, like writing a book is like having a conversation, you know, and creating this shared culture that then other people can talk about and have common ground to discuss as well. So even if, you know, it, the story is being conveyed through TV or radio or through a book, like that is building community as well as building culture and society. And so that's what I get out of it. I feel like it's like making the world a better way, like especially if it's kids, but even if it's for adults, like that's a shared thing that we can all talk about and come together with. So what have you got coming up next? Like what comes out now? You've done uh, a little bit of cryptozoology and you're doing a ch children, you've done the children's book. So what, what what's going to come out next for you? Well, if I could settle on working on one project at a time, it would, it would definitely help me. But I have a bunch of children's books that, you know, I've written for stories, you know, storytelling that I would love to see like Lumpy become children's books. I'm also working on collecting more, you know, New England folklore and creating you know, other books about, you know, more familiar creatures involving their folklore or even, you know, other legends and things like that. Um, so I'm, I'm working on all that. I don't have anything, you know, right in the stable, ready to go. I also do a lot of like event organization where I put together like authors fairs and I put together, you know, cryptozoology conferences. I got one of those coming up in, in uh, April through the International Cryptozoology Conference. Uh, which brings people together from all over the world and all over the country to hear, you know, experts and TV personalities. And so just, you know, architecting little projects like that that bring people together are also things that I spend a lot of time writing about and talking about and there are ways to get those stories out. But, you know, more of the same for me, teaching science by day and telling stories by night. So what goes on at these uh places, these shows that you do, these speeches or these, you know, conferences, I should say. What goes on? Like, what, what can someone expect if they go to a conference of of uh, cryptozoology and stuff and, and what you speak to? Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of like uh, any kind of, like, trade show or expo. You know, if you went to an author's event, there would be authors at tables and vendors and there would be speeches. And, and, uh, and I organize those, you know, ordinary types of things as well. Uh, but also like at the cryptozoology conference, there's going to be, uh, Pat Spain, which is a world, he's a biologist who's a cryptozoologist. He goes all over the world. He's done like National Geographic shows and he's done travel channel shows about like legend, uh, legend exploring and monster hunting and things like that. And so he'll be talking and Lauren Coleman, who is the founder of the International Cryptozoology Museum is going to be talking and I'll be doing some storytelling and talking and uh, people are coming in, you know, Dave, uh, there's, there's some people coming in from Florida to talk and, you know, about Bigfoot and about sea serpents and about how Lovecraftian fiction ties in with all of that stuff and so there will be talks and there will be film screenings and uh, we've got like live reptiles for a fundraiser from this you know herpetological rescue center called Herp Haven 
uh, that's local out here and all sorts of, you know, just things that are interesting that make people connect and bring people together. Tons of vendors. People can buy Bigfoot prints and keychains and all the other oddities that you might imagine would be at such a show. Oh, that's interesting. Do you have any live Bigfoots there, too? <laughs> well, we do have. Uh, there were, we're screening this film called Big Fur, uh, and the uh, Dan Walker, the uh, this award-winning, international award-winning taxidermist, decided that he wanted to create a life-size, realistic taxidermy replica of sort of the most famous, like, Bigfoot Footage you've probably seen it. It's called the Patterson Gilman, uh, the Patterson Gilman film, and it's like Bigfoot walking through a river valley, and he's he's made Patty from Bluff Creek there, and it's extremely realistic. And so he's gonna uh, be bussing about as real of a Bigfoot as as you can get into a conference out there and uh, and see that, and it's it's pretty remarkable. Um, so. Not exactly what you said, but sort of. <laughs> well, that's all right. I'm just, you know, checking it out fair to see question. what's going on. That would be for the best conference ever if somebody unveils an actual Bigfoot. Yeah, I'm just checking. I just want to know what I'm going to get. Yeah, you should come out. <laughs> well, I don't know. They might, you know, they might mistake me for a Bigfoot. <laughs> uh, no, I guess I don't have enough hair, and I'm certainly not big enough, and I'm only a size nine in the feet, so no, well, I guess you're not. You're a ways away. Yeah, I'm really a ways <laughs> away, yeah, I'll tell you. You know, that'd be a field trip. So now, are you doing um, social media? Do you have uh, social media, and do you have a website and all that for people to come find you? I sure do. Uh, so my website, uh, which is uh, due for an overhaul uh, with my with my new book coming out, is uh, www.christopherpacker.com. Uh, and I have uh, probably a most active on Facebook uh, and Instagram. And on Facebook, I'm at C.S. Packard, uh, which is where you just look up Christopher Packard. And, uh, and you'll find me. And on Instagram, I'm at c.s.packard. Wow. So you're, you're all around. All around. Well, well, we appreciate you being here. I'm glad you came on. A good little talk about your new book. Now, the book we're talking about is Lumpy's Gift. And our guest is the author of that, Christopher Packard. So thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. This is a great conversation. Thanks, Christopher. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.